Welcome to the vaccination station. My name is Dave, and today I'm speaking with Ivor. Welcome to the show. Hey. Ivor, let's start by getting to know you. Can you tell me three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting? So I'll start my first one, which is that I have a PhD in metallurgy, and that's where I work in that field. So it's not obviously medically related, but I think it has been useful to sort of navigating uh, this world. I've recently started uh, collecting watches. I've got four now, <laughs> not as big as some of the people, but I only got into it about uh, four or five months ago. And finally, I, I'm coming back. Uh, I've come back to it a little bit recently, but I used to play quite a bit of chess. So I really did enjoy that. That's really cool. Thank you. So you have studied uh, metallurgy. You've got a, a PhD in metallurgy. Presumably you, you work professionally in that field. And as someone who's, who's studied metallurgy, what got you interested in fields outside metallurgy? Because the podcast that you work with that we'll, we'll discuss later, uh, it's not a metallurgy podcast. What was it that piqued your interest about fields outside metallurgy that you particularly wanted to discuss? And, and of course, I mean, specifically in the field of debunking misinformation. So I'll sort of go back to um, 2014 here, I know it's a while back. So that was when I actually, that was during my second or third year of undergrad, where I actually did go into the sort of 9-11 uh, conspiracy stuff, I believe, very heavily in that for a time. So that was, um, after I did come out of that, I have been sort of fascinated by sort of fact-checking-y type stuff. Like there's a lot of YouTubers going into a lot of detail, like Power M1985. Uh, and I've just been sort of fascinated by uh, that sort of stuff. And obviously when COVID hit, it just took the uh, interest to a whole new level because I was sort of living through a real world event live as it were. When you fell into the 9-11 rabbit hole, what was it about the information that you were receiving that struck you as credible at the outset? What, what, did, you, what did you find particularly persuasive about the arguments presented to you? Uh, so I would say uh, the main sort of convincing thing at the time was the website AE911 Truth, because that was sort of like collecting information from people who are credentialed in that way. And they were saying sort of similar concepts to what I would have heard in lectures, etc. at that time. So that was one of the biggest convincers. Yeah, that website was superficially uh, very credible because it relied on long lists of names, people with, as you say, with credentials, uh, people all seem to be saying the same thing. You thought, well, if all these, if all these qualified people are saying the same thing, there's, there's gotta be some weight to this argument. And then I, when I encountered this, this website, I, I looked at the, looked at their claims. And I thought, well, unfortunately, I don't have any qualifications in these fields, so I have no way to assess whether they are using 
valid arguments or not, whether they're messing around with the data, whether they are making claims that are insupportable or not. So that's a problem because I I can't assess it uh, on its own merits without really knowing how to do so. Um, but I did notice that they relied heavily on volume, as most conspiracy theorists tend to do. They like to pretend that science is a democracy. Look, look at these hundreds and hundreds of people we've found who all seem to be qualified in this field, and they all say the same thing, and they all support our conspiracy theory. Well, that's not how science works. Science is not a democracy. Science is based on evidence. So a scientific conclusion is valid regardless of of how many people accept it or not. And it's not just about um, presenting lots and lots of people who will say the same thing. It's a pres about presenting consistent evidence validated by experimentation to confirm or disprove a hypothesis. And that is how the scientific consensus is built up. It's not built up by the sheer volume of voices on one side of an argument or another it's built up by the volume of evidence so it's it's this, it's a consensus of evidence not a consensus of mere opinions so that is uh that is a classic approach and of course when i started looking at some of the people on that website i found some of those qualifications were nowhere near as robust as they first appeared some of them were out of date some of them were not actually relevant and then when i started looking at alternative arguments from debunking sites with people with far more robust qualifications uh i saw why those other those other claims could not stand and i think that's an important thing to remind ourselves of when we see a large number of voices all saying the same thing supporting conspiracy theory we've got to remind ourselves science is not a democracy let's look for the evidence and see where it points is uh would would you largely agree with it with uh with that analysis uh yes i would throw in just one piece of extra information in that even if it was a democracy for every one person on that side there's probably 100 200 who are disagree with it the numbers may look impressive but i think there's like 700,000 architects in the united states so it's maybe even more i can't remember the exact number but it's a percent or so yeah that's right when, when your when your big number is confronted by an even bigger number that makes your number look like a little more than a rounding error it's not so impressive after all because people realize oh well, hang on a second there's a perspective here that i'm not taking into account and that is that this thousand or so people actually represents a microscopic fraction of the total number of qualified people so it's not impressive at all <laughs> So what can you tell me then about your book? All right, so I'll go back to the sort of origin story of the book. So I got the inspiration when I first sort of um, looked at uh, Respectful Incidents, which is a podcast about all things medical, really, by uh, Dr. David Gorski, who's been just in incredible at what he does. He's been at the sort of fact-checking stuff online game since like 2005 or something maybe sooner. Um, so he just sort of takes the more robust claims made about medical stuff, ones which do cite some form of literature. Now there might be exceptions, it might be you know, a predatory journal, it might be a misrepresented data, but he just goes into all of the detail on what, um, and takes down those claims. So that was actually a really big convincer for me in the sort of COVID stuff and the vaccine stuff. 
So I noticed he would get a lot of hate mail. So I decided to show him some love uh, and send him a nice message. Uh, I also included in that message um, some satire that I'd written um, for my friends during the pandemic. So and he found that funny. So one of the pieces of satire was a bingo card which contained 25 different talking points about vaccines, etc. And I thought, hold on a minute, this was really easy to produce. I might be able to go for a 10 by 10 version of it. So 100 things. And I could easily do that. And I thought, OK, I can easily do 100. The sky's the limit. And in the end, in the original version of the book, there was about 500. And in the extended edition, I think it was 750. But I go into more detail on them. So that that's uh, why the page discrepancy is big, but the uh, points discrepancy isn't. So that's sort of the origin story of that project. That's that's really interesting. I'm familiar, of course, with Dr. David Gorski. I quote his uh, or his articles a lot on um, on my Facebook page, the Vaccination Station, and I've got immense respect for the huge amount of work that he puts in. Keeping in mind that this is, you know, just a side hobby, secondary to his professional work he really does maintain an excellent public service and and his blog is utterly invaluable uh, plus i get a kick out of the fact that he writes under the uh the nom de plume orac because uh i was a child of the 70s so i was brought up on blake seven and that's got a special place in my heart as well <laughs> yeah I, I have seen one episode of it on tv i'm far too young <laughs> child of the 90s uh that wouldn't have been around <laughs> okay so what have you uh, what have you actually written in your book what does your book actually address specifically i'm assuming it, it combats misinformation around covid19 um how do you go about this in the book and what kind of sources do you cite all right so um most of it is just sort of collections of stuff I found online or, you know, profiles of various figures who are, you know, making a lot of money off this stuff like Germacola and etc. And what are the most ludicrous things they've said? Like uh, one of the things in there is, um, I think it was Mike Adams said that vaccinated people are being turned into slurry and fed to the population or something like that, which is really wild stuff. So it, it's a satirical tone to the book, definitely. But it does contain a lot of serious information as well. Like there's a whole chapter where I cover, well, I've got guest submissions as well, but I think about 30, 35 uh, scientific papers which were misrepresented or they were predatory or they were something else, which is one of the more dense chapters there. But some of them, I don't debunk. I just sort of like say, this is what some people believe. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, when you've got a claim that uh, there's no evidence for or no attempt to provide evidence for, you don't really need to waste time debunking it. You can just point at it and say, you know, this is the kind of brainworm people end up with when they go down the rabbit hole. So you're, you are the co-host of a podcast. What prompted you to start it and what can you tell me about it? 
All right. So that podcast was started uh, about a year or so ago when um, someone called uh, one of the debunkers, he's called, he goes by Frank now, but he used to call himself first. He wanted to sort of interview some people who formerly were in the conspiracy, whether they were covered or not, etc. So I was there sort of as a guest, as it were. And the second guest on there was uh, Brentley TV, who he was um, a very hardcore conspiracy theorist over the period of 15 years. He went through all of it like, I think there wasn't, there was barely one he didn't believe. <laughs> and he wanted to interview us to say what made us change, what, uh, how do you talk to someone, etc. And it went really well. I also sort of suggested bringing someone else in called Debunk the Funk, uh, Dan Wilson. He's another sort of brilliant uh, personality in this space because he was an ex-conspiracy uh, theorist as well, a 9-11 So I suggest we, we sort of did it with this three. We thought we should do it again, but this time we'll get uh, Dan on because it's time he could more do. And then, you know, because there's four of us, there was a famous photo of uh, some teenagers. No, I think they were, but they were like four men who are about to go like on a party. <laughs> and they kind of looked a bit like tools. So they photoshopped our heads onto them or our avatars onto them. And we called it, and then Stars called it Lads on Tour, and that's just the name since. So we've interviewed quite a few people on there, like Vicky Mail and. Uh, we had another episode with Brian Deere, the one who exposed the Andrew Wakefield's fake study. So we've had, we've had quite high caliber personalities on there, considering it's just something random we did in our spare time. That is a really terrific. Do you have a specific focus or do you sort of just uh, scoop up any mis misinformation that, that's going around, whatever's topical um, at, at the time? We don't necessarily have a specific focus for it, just like what really we've sort of leaned more onto the medical stuff, obviously, as that's been more relevant. We've got quite a few uh, different personalities on, like we had uh, Brian Deere, the one who exposed uh, Andrew Wakefield's fake study, and we've also had Vicky Mao, who's addressed a lot of claims surrounding uh, female fertility and vaccination. In your experience of the conspiracy world and also people that you might have spoken to who are not necessarily conspiracy theorists, but they might be skeptical of modern medicine and modern science, you have doubtless come across the phrase, do your, your own research. And it's the kind of thing that anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists love to throw back at people when you confront them with arguments against their position they'll say oh well do your own research i did my own research and i arrived at these conclusions you should do your own research as well how do you respond when people say we should all do our re own research on matters of health and science what would you say to someone who makes that argument so there is an old um sort of joke that doing your own research is a bit like doing your own plumbing. You're going to get better results if you are a plumber. <laughs> so I think as well, a lot of people can fall into traps like um, motivated reasoning uh, and, you know, confirmation bias. You're 
you're starting from you sort of start from a position of okay i believe this i've seen an argument now i believe this then you're going to go into google and search very specific words which are going to give you sources which confirm that aren't you so you can spend you know someone who spent half an hour of really good genuine research can be better than 500 hours of motivated reasoning so there's that sort of i cover this in my book as well that old phrase you know it's the parents who don't look at vaccines and just blindly believe what their doctor says who get them and parents who look into it all the time every all the live long day who don't get them so that's and i suppose it's kind of true in one sense but it's not leading to the correct conclusions is it no and the fundamental issue i believe is that when people say research they don't mean what professionals mean when they say research the word research has been bandied around so much by conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers and other contrarians just to be almost meaningless now um certainly in in public discourse of course it's not a meaning meaningless term it has a very specific term in a professional context and when a professional says i've done my research they mean something very different to what an anti-vaxxer means when they say i've done my research so genuine research means investigation means following the scientific method following approved research methods following standard you know methodology for investigating ideas comparing evidence comparing theories looking up the relevant peer-reviewed literature etc etc proper research in, in any field whether humanity science medicine is an exhaustive endeavor it's 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 deep it's methodical it's um well-rounded and it follows particular rules it's not just reading things on the internet or watching a handful of youtube videos people say i've done my research and the people who tend to say that are the people who tend not to have any background in actually doing proper research even at, at university level even at just doing doing research for a university paper and that is sort of you know low level research in in a uh in a broader you know professional context but university research for doing an undergraduate paper for example is nevertheless an arduous task and it is meant to be and you're meant to follow the rules and do it properly and it is a a world of difference between that and what an anti-vaxxer says when they when they say I've done my research what they normally mean is I've read some blogs and I've looked at some videos by people who I already agree with and are telling me what I want to hear I'm looking for people who affirm my confirmation bias and reassure me that my position is valid but if you're doing genuine research you should be looking for evidence and arguments that challenge your position and that run contrary to whatever conclusions you've come to so far and you may not find any you may find that there are no there are no uh such arguments and there is no such evidence in the scientific consensus and if you do find that there's a very good that's a, a very good um indication that your position is correct but you should be testing your ideas and your conclusions and your evidence against the research that other people have already done 
so you know this is a this is a very lazy way of thinking people would have got into they go i can do my own research the internet is at my disposal and contains a full sum of human knowledge well i'm not I'm not sure that it actually does but even if it did it's not exactly organized well you don't necessarily know where to look and you don't necessarily know how to tell good information from bad information so it's not just about doing the reading and and watching the videos it's about knowing how to discern uh valid research and valid data and valid evidence from the invalid and that is something that needs to be taught it's a skill it's a discipline that is something you typically learn at university or, or in a professional context but it's not something the average person can do Did, is that a, a fair summary do you feel yes i would say so very much i think as well is it research or is it listening to influencers i think that's always the most important thing to sort of ask yeah who are the people that, that you are going to for your information are they professionals are they qualified do they understand their topics in a in some kind of you know deep a scientific way or are they just people with opinions and an Instagram page and an internet connection um, there's a there's a world of difference but be between those two certainly if, if someone came to me and said you know I'm a great believer in doing my own research I would say okay well what do you do when you when you break a bone in your body do you sit down on Google and and do your own research or do you go and see your GP well, obviously you go to your GP you, because you know from experience that the people with the professional qualifications and the professional experience are the best people to consult for this issue. You don't hop on WebMD and go, oh yeah, it sounds like I've definitely got a broken bone and uh, here's some ideas about what to do with it and then look up your favorite Instagram and say, well, what have they said about broken bones recently? You don't do any of that. You really know when the crunch comes, you know who to ask and it's only selective bias that makes you dismiss these professionals within certain contexts, whether it's some conspiracy theory idea or or some aspect of medicine or science that you particularly disagree with, that makes you look elsewhere. So touching on vaccination then, because it's become such a topical issue since the pandemic started, have you ever personally met someone who was opposed to vaccination? Mine. If you're talking real life, no. If you're talking on the internet, probably thousands. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think are the main reasons why people refuse vaccination, even after several hundred years of, of success and, and scientific evidence? Well, I think like a lot of it, um, sort of stems from probably their initial anxiety about needles you know most other interventions are given as a pill etc and they're given when you're already sick so people are probably more pliable to accepting what a doctor's going to give them so it's sort of an inverse of the logic with vaccination because you're going to a doctor because you're not sick to prevent it in the future and so that's probably one of the main reasons I'd say an, another one is people get into it because uh, it's sort of a narrative, isn't it? You're the little guy standing up against this huge industry. It can be very sold as that sort of narrative. Yeah, there's a, a certain pride in being a contrarian and not doing what all the other people are doing, I, I guess. 
obviously one thing I've noticed is that conspiracy theories are a gateway to anti-vax mentality because uh, conspiracy theories tend to fold or a whole bunch of other ideas into themselves and anything else that comes along is seen as validating the conspiracy theory. So it simply gets added and anti-vax is a very common one within the conspiracy circles. What advice would you give to someone who is on the fence about vaccines and wants some more information about their safety and effectiveness? Well, I sort of would recommend uh, just going to something like Google Scholar and just like directly searching studies or there's other research is like uh, web of science and stuff like that because there you can just type in something and you will get um papers which aren't necessarily backing up uh motivated reasoning etc whereas in the general search engine it works a bit different you can get stuff which backs up your motivated motivated reasoning so that's a good way to dodge the algorithm that would otherwise simply deliver you what it's been trained to deliver. Um, yeah. This way you're, you're actually getting information that comes directly from a database that hasn't been trained at all, has no algorithm to follow your, your search trends and simply delivers what you are looking for. Yeah. But what about the average person who says, okay, Google Scholar sounds great, but... I've looked at some of these studies and they're very long and very complicated. And some of them are very boring. I don't know how to interpret what I'm reading. There's lots of graphs. There's comments about, you know, various statistics. Um, how do I find a way to decipher this information if I don't have the tools to do it? All right, how do I know what I'm, I'm looking at and how do I, how do I interpret it? That, that's a bit more of a tricky one, uh, I suppose, because obviously you don't necessarily want to say just go to experts because experts can be utilised on their side as Joe McCola, etc. So just we don't want to just be say listening to this sort of celebrity influencer. I would, I would say this, there is sort of a lot of people on social media who do like answer questions and answer DMs who are on our side. So I'd recommend sort of like putting them in that direction. Yeah, that, that's a good recommendation because there's a lot of good places on social media nowadays where people discuss these studies and unpack them for you and explain what the study means. Now, some of these studies aren't too bad. I mean, they'll have a synopsis at the start, and usually the synopsis is enough to tell you what the study found and and how that how that finding was was justified. But even then, people might still want to know more or they want to know the details but the the study itself is a bit too difficult to, to follow for a layman so if people go to places like unbiased science podcast or uh, dr anna's imaginarium various other places like that they will find experts online who who can explain these studies for them and some of them um, make a point of keeping track of the latest studies and make sure that they provide a layman's version for for the average person to to read and understand yeah there is a 
Susan Oliver and Dan Wilson there, some of the most incredible ones in that space. What are the most important skills you think people should develop if they want to identify and refute misinformation online? I watched a very fantastic video by Dark Matter 2025, Dark, Dark Matter 2525 on this about how sort of propaganda works in, in, in that way um, and how things can be manipulated. Uh, so how to determine if there's misinformation being directed at you is one of them. Is it a screenshot of a headline? without a link to the article, because that can be very suspect. People can, you know, go inspect element, change the headline, screenshot it, etc. Also, you know, don't do anything based on headline, do read the article as well, because sometimes there, there was a headline uh, early in the uh, pandemic where it was like, did you know vaccines lead to a massive rise in death or something? And that was the headline as a question. But the article went through all the data and said no. But obviously people posted that as if it was proving the point when it wasn't. So don't do anything based on it off a headline. But I would also say the main thing to be aware of is if you're going to know, say, a person or a writer or something, you should know what their detractors also say about them. Because that's always a really important thing to learn, you know, uh, my friend Brent Lee has recently gone with, it was this sort of ancient apocalypse stuff, Graham Hancock, I think is his name. And he believed that for very many years, but he actually just went and then talked to someone who disagrees with him, who's in the uh, architectural field. So if you're aware of someone, you need to be aware of what their detractors say and what those arguments are there to have a full picture. One thing I've noticed people doing on social media is cutting dates off screenshots, um, taking a screenshot and posting just a screenshot, which is dodgy for a start because they haven't provided you with a link so that you can see the post or the article for yourself. And then they'll crop off the date and they'll present it, they'll, they'll present it as if it's brand new and it might be two or three years old or six months old, no longer current or already being debunked. And they'll present it as, you know, breaking news kind of thing, but they'll deliberately clip off the date. And they might also clip off the source. So you, it, it's much harder to find. Um, those kinds of things are also uh, clues to look for, I, I find. Um, look for anything that obscures the provenance, the background of, of this of this article or this screen uh, screen grab or or this uh, tweet that someone's put up, if if they're obscuring the provenance, it's a good indication that there is something wrong with it that you they don't want you to know about, and they know that, which is why they're trying to hide it. So I, I've in my experience, I've I found that's quite a common thing now. Yeah, I have a great example of that. Um, there's a specific term for it. I can't remember what it is, but the headline was like heart attacks increasing young women, doctors don't know why. It was a 2022 article, but the source, the study it was talking about was from 2018, between 2014 and 2018. So that was really deceptive. And that's a really a trick that the media can play on you, definitely. Yeah, that, that is just shameless clickbait. I mean, uh, it's simply done to drive, um, to drive views and, uh, and readership.
if people want to follow your podcast, where can they find it online? It's on YouTube. All the episodes will be um, presented under the Brent Space, Lee Space TV uh, channel. So, sorry, YouTube channel. They'll all be on there. They're also on, you know, all the big sort of uh, podcast places. Like I think Apple Podcasts is on there and a few others. Uh, Spotify as well. Like it, I think it's on all those sort of big resources. And what sort of content can people expect to find on your podcast? So a lot of it is mostly interviewing uh, a series of experts about about uh, most topics it, about an array of topics. It leans more medical, though. Um, you know, we've had Vicky Mail to talk about uh, vaccination and pregnancy. We've had Susan Oliver on to talk about fact checking, etc. So, sort of a broad array of topics there. Thank you very much for joining me today, Ivor. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.